Sean Fain can just wipe that bead of sweat right off of his brow. Whew. That thing was close. But it looks like that rank and file of the UAW, as it comes to the GM deal, looks like they're going to ratify this thing. As of this morning, the UAW GM contract was receiving almost 55% of the yes votes, which looks like it'll put them over the edge. It was a narrow vote, though. And it comes at a time when union leaders touted this deal as uh, a, a, a huge win, which it was, a huge uptick in wages, which it is. You're getting a reduction in the time it takes to climb up the ladder. Coal is back. I mean, this was a big win for the UAW and, and for workers across the big three. And, of course, it comes at a time when the UAW is going to look at the Toyotas of the world, the Hondas of the world, the Hyundais of the world. Uh, Anybody, any foreign automaker that is building cars in the United States, um, they want to to try to unionize those workers as well. And when you consider the type of increases that the UAW were able to win over the automakers in this particular instance – what, what did we see Toyota do? We saw them raise their pay. What did we see Hyundai do? Raise their pay. Because they have to, in a certain sense, keep up with the Joneses. I don't believe those automakers want their employees to unionize. And so you gotta, you, you got to kind of keep up with the Joneses, and I think that's what they've shown that they did. And Sean Fain mentioned it when he was talking to Congress just the other day. That there's a there's a reason why those automakers are doing it. It's because of the big gains that the UAW was able to win over the big three. Uh, in the meantime, Congressman Dan Kildee, who's been a stalwart of the Michigan delegation, will not seek re-election. The Kildee family has represented Michigan in Congress since 1977. And it certainly does give Republicans a chance to... To flip that seat in an already tight house. The nonpartisan Cook political report shifted the seat from a leans Democrat, as Kildee was gearing up for potentially a seventh term, to now a toss up. And I think my, my first thought when I when I had seen this information, this story, um, Dan Kildee earlier this year was diagnosed with cancer. And he it was curable. It was on his tonsil, I believe. Uh, he went and had successful surgery. But he says, according to the Detroit News, that the his health wasn't an issue. Saying the process of reflection during the period of my recovery caused me to think hard about how I want to spend my time. I love Michigan. I love home. And this place has never been home, Washington. I want to be there full time. It was one of those decisions that while I struggled with it, I was making it. Once I settled it in my mind, it just confirmed that it was right. So uh, certainly uh, a bit of a surprise that Dan Kildee is, is going to leave. But I think like like anybody else, at a certain point, you really start to evaluate, and this just wasn't for him anymore. Uh, but but Dan Kildee, who is is certainly uh, higher up the, the leadership ladder in the Democrat Party, um, has been... Uh, a stalwart for the Flint area uh, over his time in, in Congress. 
uh, and some pretty big news that Dan Kildee isn't going to run for a seventh term. Meanwhile, after a months-long investigation by the House Ethics Committee, New York Congressman George Santos has announced that he won't seek re-election. Now, his decision comes on the heels of a scathing committee report that said it amassed overwhelming evidence of lawbreaking committed by the lawmaker. Shortly after the report was released, Santo took to X, uh, blasted the report as a politicized smear. But this is a guy that has been embroiled in in a, a ton of controversy ever since he got into the House of Representatives. And following his meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping, President Joe Biden told a group of world leaders in California yesterday that Governor Gavin Newsom, quote, could have the job I'm looking for if he wanted. And this is interesting because Joe Biden's approval rating, both from a voter's perspective and from inside his own party, is pretty poor. He said, I want to talk about Governor Newsom. I want to thank him. He's been one hell of a governor, man. Matter of fact, he could be anything he wants. He could have the job I'm looking for. And uh, again, pretty interesting talking to the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation in San Francisco on the heels of that Xi visit. But it, it does maybe provide a little bit of credence to the fact that there is some considerations that whether or not he should run again, presumably against Donald Trump, who has a big lead amongst primary Republicans. Uh, in the meantime, a pro-Palestinian rally in Washington last night grew so unruly, police had to evacuate lawmakers who were inside the Democratic National Committee headquarters, including Michigan Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joins us for a look at what happened there, Marie. Yeah, this was unexpected, Chris. Capitol Police say there were about 150 protesters around the DNC headquarters when things turned violent. Six officers were injured in all of this. There was one arrest. The injured officers were treated for their injuries. None were life-threatening. Police made the decision to evacuate the DNC building. The top three House Democratic leaders were all inside, along with other Congress people, including Deb. Dingle, and I know she's coming up and she'll be talking with you, Chris. If Not Now is a group that describes itself as American Jews organizing our community to end U.S. support for Israel's apartheid system. It said that it was at the protest and it accused the police of being violent towards them. The group posting on X, we were linking arms threatening no one and begging our politicians to support an end to the killing and suffering in Gaza, begging peacefully for a ceasefire, and this is the response. And they posted video of the police forcibly trying to remove them from the front of the building. Video from the scene also shows police trying to remove these uh, people from the front of the building while some of them were wearing helmets and shields, other Others just had on uh, their uniforms. The protest comes a day after thousands gathered in Washington for a march for Israel. Uh, That was a rally against anti-Semitism. 
And uh, one other thing that, I did, again, a look at the perspectives of all this, Chris, Representative Brad Sherman of California posted on X that he was evacuated from the DNC, and this is his words, after pro-terrorist, anti-hashtag Israel protesters grew violent, pepper-spraying police officers and attempting to break into the building. The people from this group, if not now, call that an incorrect characterization of what happened. I, I do, Marie, wonder to a certain extent the, the type of rhetoric that's out there. It, it only has to fuel the, the flames in these types of instances, wouldn't, wouldn't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, will, it does not take much to um, turn something that looks peaceable uh, into something else. So you're you're absolutely correct. And police are absolutely on high alert in D.C. as well as elsewhere in the country. Debbie Dingle told the Detroit News, this rattled me more than January 6th. Oh. And so when you consider, the, the again, the type of of reaction from lawmakers after that, um, th- this has to feel a little more a little more serious. And I, I think that's the the. The information coming from Debbie Dingle. We'll talk with her coming up uh, at around 2.35. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. All right, the new TikTok trend is out, and you're going to hate it, because I do. That's next. All right, all right. Kill the music. Kill it. So, today's my birthday, 35. I don't tell you because I care. It's my birthday. I don't. No, 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 no. I don't care that it's my birthday. I don't expect anybody to care it's my birthday. I only tell you that because I find myself smack dab in the millennial generation, right in the middle. And look, we take a lot of heat. Our work ethic isn't very good, all kinds of other nonsense. In some cases, it's probably justified. Now, I feel like I'm above the fray. I buck that trend look i'm dialed into what's happening all right i read a lot i watch a lot i listen a lot because i get to come in here every day and talk to you about things that matter to you matter to me and and look (laughs) i try very hard not to be you know like the the old get off my lawn guy because it's not really who i am but there's probably some truth that that there is a little bit of that in me and so sometimes when I see something that just makes me so blindingly mad, my first thought is these people have no bleeping idea what they're talking about. They are out of their minds. And when we get to that level, uh, it's a problem. We got a problem. Threat level midnight. Code red. So I'm having dinner with my family last night. And we finish eating. And I start to peruse a little bit. And I come across the latest viral TikTok trend. And boy, oh boy, is it a doozy. So people are posting videos reacting to Osama bin Laden's A Letter to America. And their reactions are sickening. Now, if you're unfamiliar... A little bit of background. The letter to America was written about a year after 9-11. It was an ode to how awful and oppressive America truly is. And because you pay taxes to the American government, 
they buy the planes that carry the bombs that you paid for to murder innocent people in the Middle East and all around the world. So you're complicit in those same killings. So you deserve to die, too. And the fact that the United States backs Israel and their stolen land only makes it worse. And that the only way for us American vermin to repent our horrific Christian sins was to point out our hypocrisies and become an Islamic state. It was the ramblings of a psychotic, deranged, terrorist billionaire who orchestrated a plot that sent two planes into the World Trade Centers. And by the way, that wasn't either the start or the end of his atrocities. So as people were recording their reactions from their dumb faces, holding their phones eight inches from their nose, and sympathizing with this piece of garbage, I just felt my blood boiling. My, it was, I, I don't even know what it was. I should have taken it. It wouldn't have been even able to read it. And look, I'm not mad at people who are uninformed. I'm not. You're uninformed. It is your job, and it is the job of people like me to inform you, to make sure that you are informed. And it's not, it's not that they're inform, uninformed. It's the gall, the absolute gall, to speak the way that they did, the conviction that they have when talking about this letter, it, 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 it has driven me mad. Now, here's another layer to this rotten onion. The Guardian, the, the news outlet, had initially posted the translated version of this letter in 2002. And for 21 years-ish, it's flown under the radar and been hid in some little corner of the Internet. But after some TikTok bozos came across the letter and became enlightened by the teachings and wisdoms of Osama bin Laden, well, there was a spotlight shined on that little corner of the Internet. And more and more junior bozos went out and read it. And after a while, The Guardian had millions of views on this page that's been dormant for decades. And once they realized what was happening... They pulled it down from their site. They put a message up. This page previously displayed a document containing, in translation, the full text of Osama bin Laden's letter to the American people, as reported in The Observer on Sunday, 24 November 2002. The document was published here on the same day, was removed on 15 November 2023. They, you know, here, l- l- let me translate that for you. They saw what was happening on, on TikTok. And weirdly, you know, wanted to keep people from sympathizing with a monster. It was gross. It's gross. I, 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 I cannot believe what I was seeing. Oh, and by the way, The Guardian is a British publication. So all those folks out there that was saying, oh, the United States is trying to cover this up. You'd think those Sherlock Holmeses would know. Because they're all knowing. These people actually read this letter and were saying, well, you know what? Oh, saw this Osama bin Laden guy. He's got a point. Oh, 
Oh, the United States is pretty bad. Here, let me play you this. Hey, listen to this TikTok mental patient. Best friend, I just read a letter to America. Have you read that? If you haven't read it yet, I think if you go on the internet, it's not there because the U.S. government is trying to remove it because they don't want us to see the letter to America. Why don't they want us to see a letter to America? A letter to America is a letter to America written by Osama bin Laden. Thanks. Basically explaining why he attacked on 9-11. Now, don't jump me. I know 9-11 can be quite triggering, but let's ask the question that Osama bin Laden asked America. Why did they attack on September 11th? Osama bin Laden basically said in a nutshell, not only do you keep with us, but you keep with everybody. You're dropping bombs on people and it's fine, but when we do it, we're terrorists. And I'm not here to defend anybody, but I am no. here to say we got to do some algebra here. If we're going to call Osama bin Laden terrorist, so is the American government. Mm. Thanks. Thanks for enlightening us with that commentary. Now, here's my real problem. Is I got to watch some 20-something from Vermont lecture me on a topic she doesn't know anything about. And here's my real issue. I don't believe anything is permanent, okay? Nothing is in a vacuum. Things that happen aren't forever. And so when people complain or whine about a president or Congress or whatever, it's not permanent. Things revert, things change. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, It's something that grows and evolves. But but I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. I'm not get off my lawn guy. But I'm a little worried that in my generation and even generations before me, there was no struggle. There was no strife. There was no difficulty. And there are a group of people out there that have a a pretty incredible reach through these social media platforms. And while I believe truly that people evolve, people change, people look at things differently, I'm wondering if we're getting into a a critical point where, where people of that age are so out of touch and so unaware of how to do some basic research. But no, what's trendy is to go out and badmouth the, the Americans or badmouth the government or badmouth Congress. That's trendy. That's what gets views and clicks. Instead of, you know, actually doing some research. It, it is unbelievable what I feel like is happening here. And while I don't believe that these people are beyond fixing, I'm not even sure that they want it. Do you? 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Unbelievable. I mean, truly unbelievable. Can we go back to the times it was easier when people were eating Tide Pods? All right, we got to take a break. We'll get to your calls, your texts coming up next on JR Afternoon. Also, we'll catch up with De- Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. All right, welcome back. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. You can call or text that number. Uh, I do want to just make you aware, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is hitting the road 
with the Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. And you could see him at the tour stop of your choice. Rock out at the Capitol for Christmas, party in New Orleans, or find warmer weather in Orlando. You pick. One winner will score two tickets to their Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert of choice. Round trip air, three nights hotel, plus a $1,000 gift card for your holiday shopping. Prize provided by Wild Child Touring. Now to enter, text this hour's national keyword Christmas to 95819. For full details, official contest rules, visit WJR.com. All right, I want to squeeze one call in here uh, real quick. Let's go to Vince in Northville. What's up, Vince? Hey, I just want to uh, condone you on calling this one 100% right on as far as trendy. You're 100% right. And the problem is you've got parents out there, and they're spending tens of thousands of dollars on these so-called education in these Ivy League schools with their kids, okay? And they're being indoctrinated with this garbage. And you mark my words. I'm going to put, I'm going to put this out there right now, okay? You mark my words. The next couple of years in these psychology classes and, and classes that are going to be taught, they are going to try to sell the bill of goods that Osama bin Laden was actually a good guy. He actually was a freedom fighter, and he actually had a good train of thought when, tack- when uh, attacking America. They're going to teach this in your colleges. I would put my state, my life on it. Well, Vince, I mean, this is this is with Hitler. This is part of what they're doing now. I mean, this is literally this is literally what people are saying on on TikTok now. And and Vince, I appreciate the call. But, yeah, this this is where they're at now. And it's it is something else. It's something else. I, I never in my wildest dreams, nowhere on my bingo card, did it say that people were going to sympathize with Osama bin Laden. I mean, it is, again, I don't fault people for being uninformed. I don't. They're uninformed. But the the fact that they speak with such brevity and so such, they, they speak from this soapbox, it, it, is, it is something else. And meanwhile, these protests that are happening all around the country are becoming more and more serious. Just ask Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, who joins us. She was trapped in this pro-Palestinian protest in Washington, D.C. Congresswoman, good to have you. Hey, Chris, it's good to be with you. And it's good to be home and safe. Yeah. What, what was this like for you? You know, I have to I'm going to be honest with you. Look, I believe in the right to free speech and I believe in the right for peaceful protesting. But I, I did not because I didn't have access to a television and I didn't know everything that was going on. I had this just feeling on January 6th, everything would be okay. And I was not rattled. I did get rattled yesterday. I was um, me. I I wanted to leave and I'm not afraid of protesters. You know me, Mm -hmm. you know, when I see people protesting, I go out and I talk to them and I want to know what's on their mind. And I said, you know, I tried to go out up, side door and they were like no you can't go there they've got the doors blocked with bins and there are people waiting to pounce on you so I said well I'm gonna go out the front door um and the police had shut down the building but I was like what are they going to do to me but as I got to the front door a capital policeman uh well the capital police said to us they are pepper spraying uh mm. pepper spraying the police and a young woman early 20s who was a policewoman keeping us safe came in clearly having been pepper sprayed she was sick her skin was burning her eyes were 
Um, and I was like, okay, maybe I'm not going out yeah. into that crowd. And I do thank uh, the men and women who keep us safe every day. They were out there. They were keeping us safe. They had, if you've seen the videos, mm-hmm. it, it was intense. It, a lot, it was a lot of, that's intense is a good word. There was a lot of anger and frustration. And I just think that we got to make sure we're protecting our rights of free speech, our rights to protest, so many constitutional rights, but you can't do, you can't go to violence. You can't do property damage and you can't hurt policemen. So it was scary. I'm not going to lie to you. I was rattled. So uh, do you think there needs to be a change in rhetoric that lawmakers are, are that some lawmakers are pushing on this topic? I mean, it, th- this is obviously a hot button issue, as it should be, um, because there are lives at stake all across the board. But but do you think the rhetoric needs to be toned down a little bit while while um, um, uh, something on the geopolitical stage is happening? I'm going to divide this into two two thoughts. One, you, uh, there are lives at stake here. And, you know, people, I don't want to see any baby die. I don't care if they're a Jewish baby or a Palestinian baby. I don't want to see the children die. Uh, I think we're horrified at what we are witnessing in the Mideast. And I think people have, I have met with so many People who have family. I was at a, a M-Gage event, which was Arab American Muslim event in Washington on Wednesday night, and a man showed me, or Tuesday night, uh, showed me a picture of his entire family that died in 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 Gaza. It's horrific. It's totally horrific. But I think that it's not. Yes, these protests are focused on a horrific situation. And I really don't want to see anybody die, period. I condone what Hamas did. The Palestinian people are not Hamas. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's very complicated. I want humanitarian ceasefire. I want this to end. And I want, ultimately, we got to deal with the problem that led to this, which if you don't deal with Gaza, if you have people living the way that they have been living, it simmers up into what you saw and it's not good on the other i want to also say to you that i think right now in america we have lost civility we think that it's okay to say anything while we're hearing it the protest last night was on the midi situation i think people insult each people bully people uh, I think social media has given people anon- make them anonymous. They think there are no consequences. We don't treat each other the way that we should treat each other with respect and dignity. You can disagree agreeably. And I think it is far too easy to be violent, intense, passionate against somebody else. And it has to stop because it's a danger to our society. I mean, we, we saw protesters rattling the gates at the White House and I mean, these protests have gotten heated. Do you expect this to continue? I fear that somebody's going to get hurt. Yes, I fear it. And I I totally support the right of people to protest. That's a fundamental right in our Constitution, in freedom of speech. But the intensity and the passionateness right now and the bullying and, quite frankly, that where some of these go, I, I urge those that want to make their voices heard to make sure that 
their voices are being heard on the point that they're trying to make and that they not become a story of the consequences of that protest getting out of control. Well, we're, we're glad you're safe. Uh, and, and we, uh, I, I hope very much that you're wrong and, and somebody doesn't get hurt because these things seem to have escalated over the last couple of weeks and they're becoming more and more intense. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, thank you for your time as always. Thank you, Chris. Take care. Yeah, you do the same. 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. So we talk a lot about EVs on this show, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. But the infrastructure is, is to me, maybe more interesting than the production as of this moment. Because, again, I've talked about it a lot. It almost feels like a chicken or the egg, right? Do you need the infrastructure first or do you need the cars first? And, and I, I, it's probably both. I mean, you, you need to work in tandem in order to make this thing really take off the way that automakers and even the federal government wants it to take off. But, you know, it's funny. It's National Apprenticeship Week. We talked to Donna Pardonet, uh earlier this week. And we need, we need skilled trades across the board, but certainly electrical workers. And we need electrical workers that are specifically designated or trained to work on chargers. Because as more charging stations pop up uh, around, you know, Metro Detroit or the state or the country, you need people that are able to work on on these particular uh, units. And right now, there aren't enough people certified to fix them if they are out, which in some cases, you pull up to a charger, you need some juice, and it, it doesn't even work. It's out of order. So there is a huge kind of break in what is happening and then what needs to happen. Jennifer Mefford's the national co-chair of the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Training Program and joins us. Uh, Jen, good to talk with you. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. It, we talk a lot about infrastructure and the, the need to have a robust, readily available system of chargers across the country and certainly here in the state of Michigan. How big of an issue is it um, that more and more chargers maybe are on the fritz and you pull up to one, you can't charge it. And, and there's a there's just a sheer lack of people that can work on them. Yeah, so I think we're all kind of seeing those headlines about, um, you know, about 20 percent of the time you're coming up to a charging station uh, in the public spaces that it's not functioning. Most of the issues with that charging infrastructure are around communication protocols. Remember, they're typically software connected could be a card reader issue, again, uh, an internet connection or a software connection. Um, every once in a while, it's a cord set issue. But mm-hmm. uh, those are the kinds of things that, you know, I think make an opportunity from a workforce development standpoint for folks that are just kind of assessing and triaging what's happening with that. That's not electrical in nature. Mm. As long as they're tied with electricians, that can actually do the work on that equipment. Because, again, live energized equipment, right? Sure. So I'm kind of seeing both things. In Michigan, we actually are pretty ahead of the curve, and I think it's because, you know, we've been able to work with the automakers here in Michigan for a long time as the products were coming into production about what that infrastructure workforce needed to look like. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of licensed electricians in Michigan that do have specialty EV charging station training. And I think we're doing okay. Of course, we're going to need more. There's a lot more infrastructure coming. And another pathway, though, we do need folks that can support those electricians with assessing what's happening with that charging station and be connected. 
So you, you've talked to us a, n- a number of times about the jobs that come with this type of transition. Does this fall under that umbrella? Or, or could we see people that are dedicated to this type of work? Yeah, I think so. There's a Michigan-based company that just recently launched called SkillFusion. And I'm excited about SkillFusion for a couple of reasons. Um, I like the fact that the folks behind SkillFusion, certainly it's a training company, but they're all from the industry. They're out of automotive and mobility and EV charging and the EV industry as a whole. So I think they have a pretty interesting lens with which to view workforce development. So they've launched a program for kind of this entry, entry level, non-electrical in nature, but to bring folks in that can help shore up this service and maintenance assessment role. So I'm excited to see them grow here and around the country um, and to really look at how they're going to connect this work-ready workforce that goes through their training to this existing network of electricians. That's a key point. Um, You know, the OEMs, EVSC manufacturers, uh, anybody with charging infrastructure in their facility want to know that they're tapping into a network of people who are ready to go, um, that have enough information to fix a problem. And I think SkillFusion's on the right track with this. I'm very excited to see where they grow. Are there other companies like SkillFusion that are popping up? There are lots of different EV-related training programs popping up um, really all over the country. And, mm. and my purview takes me to all, all the states in the nation. Um, some really interesting programs. I think one of the differences with SkillFusion that I think we'll see the market move towards is this work-ready connectivity that's sure. connecting electricians that need to work on that energized equipment with folks that can assess what's going on because they do fit together. And that's the best possible solution to make sure that everything is safe and everything is operational. Well, and, you know, this is just another it, it, it's it's as we continue on down this road, no pun intended, there there are things that pop up where you say, well, huh, you're, you're going to need instead of, you know, mechanics that are working on ICE vehicles, you're going to need those outlets for for electric vehicles, too. And just like right. when you go to the gas station, those pumps are down sometimes. They got the yellow uh, caution bag around the pump, and you can't you can't use that that particular uh, unit. You're going to need people that are that are trained in this, that know how to identify or troubleshoot what the issues are, um, whether it's a card reader issue or something internally that that's more serious right. that needs to be addressed. Um, I, I think it's I think it's great that uh, places like SkillFusion are are there and kind of looking forward to that next step as being a real necessity. Yeah, so I was at CareerQuest yesterday with 8,000 uh, students between the uh, grades 7 through 12, which is this amazing hands-on career exploration event. And I can't tell you how excited those students were about the Mach-E that we had set up there, all the charging infrastructure, great questions, very much. It's so interesting generationally to see how open they are to electrified mobility. Sure. It was very cool. Well, I, I again, I, I think it's a... On the surface, it's a very cool technology. It's a very cool way of of looking at vehicles. And and it doesn't surprise me that a younger generation is taking to it. Uh, Very interesting stuff. Jennifer Mefford, thank you so much. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. All right, we'll talk again very soon. Um, In the meantime, some breaking news uh, out of San Francisco. A jury has convicted the man who broke into former U.S. uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's house. Uh, in an attempt to hold hostage and attack her husband with a hammer, has been convicted on federal charges of attempted kidnapping and assault. 
Uh, the jury deliberated for about eight hours before finding David DePap guilty of attempted kidnapping on a federal official and an assault on the immediate family member of a federal official. He now faces 50 years in prison. This was one of the more bizarre stories that I can remember where a guy walks in uh, up up to a house, you know, knocks on the door and, and, you know, walks into this guy's house. And, and then Paul Pelosi, who's uh, 82 years old, calls police very calmly. He says, oh, there's some guy here. I don't know what he's doing here. He's looking for my wife. And police got there and, and the guy's got a hammer. Paul Pelosi, wasn't Paul Pelosi like in his underwear or something? I mean, it was in the middle of the night. I think the guy was trying to sleep. And, um, yeah, it was a very weird story. So I'm not entirely surprised that that this guy uh, uh, got convicted. All right, want to fit a quick call in here real quick. Let's go to Edward in Lincoln Park. Hello, Edward. Hey, Chris. Happy hey. birthday. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say um, you, you got to know your your history and what makes your country great. You know, instead of replaying O'Sullivan's Laden's letter, what we need to replay is an editorial by a Canadian journalist, Byron McGregor, mm-hmm. to the rest of the world about the Americans. That to explains how the Americans interact with the rest of the world in times of trouble and times of need and not listen to this crap from people who are trying to attack us. Well, I just it, it's just interesting to me, again, of the perspective of a group of people that are clearly they're, they're clearly uninformed and that's OK to be uninformed. But to speak with the conviction that they do is something else. Uh, Eddie, appreciate the call. Uh, we got to take a breakage caught up on some other news making headlines. Also, big movement in the ratification process with the GM and the UAW deal. That's next. All right. Welcome back. Good to have you. Three o'clock hour here on JR Afternoon. Lots to do still. But I got to tell you, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is hitting the road with the ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. And you could see him at the tour stop of your choice. Rock out at the Capitol for Christmas party in new orleans or find warmer weather in orlando you pick one winner will score two tickets to their trans-siberian orchestra concert of choice round trip air three nights hotel plus a thousand dollar gift card for your holiday shopping prize provided by wild child touring to enter texas hours national keyword eve to nine five eight one nine for full details and official contest rules visit wjr.com um some good news for the UAW, certainly. And and certainly for, for General Motors as well. As UAW rank and file looks to have narrowly voted in favor of the tentative deal that General Motors and the UAW struck during that tense negotiation strike. Uh, it looks like the vote is going to go about eh, just under 54 or just under 55%. Yes, uh, according to the Detroit News analysis of the totals. So uh, good news for UAW workers, or at least half of them that voted in favor of it. But I, I, I contest it would have been an absolute nightmare for the union if if it wasn't ratified, if it was turned down. And look, it it, it sounds like there was no rule in the unions bylaws that if it was a certain margin of win there would need to be a revote i don't not aware of any of that so as long as it's a majority vote then it it gets ratified 
So you're looking at 27%, 27% compounded wages, uh, major reduction in the tier system, and coal is back. It's it's a, a, a really big deal for union workers. I am a little bit surprised of the reception of it. I I would have thought that this is exactly what, what really they wanted. And I know that Sean Fain went in with a whole laundry list of of items and asks and, you know, what was it, 45% wage increase? I mean, just wild numbers. But again, remember, it's a, it's a negotiation. It's back and forth. And there was no way that they were getting those numbers. But Sean Fain was very vocal. Sean Fain was very public. Sean Fain took a much different tact to get these deals done than union presidents of, of yesteryear. So I, I'm surprised that there was pushback to this as much as there was. And it'll be really interesting to see when the Ford votes happen and, and the Stellantis votes happen, if we're seeing similar numbers, because once these tentative deals were done, I mean, Sean Fain, was very effusive in the the gravity of these deals, how big they were, how how much they, you know, stuck it to the man kind of deal. And and they got big numbers. So I'm I'm a little surprised, but it looks like it's gonna get it's gonna pass and, and be ratified. Meanwhile, Congressman Dan Kildee, the Flint area Democrat who has spent six terms in Congress, is not going to seek reelection. It now, I believe, gives Republicans an opportunity to flip that seat. And you may think, well, you know, Dan Kildee's been around for a long time. Um, Certainly through all of the Flint water investigations was a very vocal uh, uh, supporter and, and leader in Congress for the people of Flint. So it is it is interesting to me that Cook Political Report, the nonpartisan group, has shifted the seat from a Democrat lean to a toss-up. And I've seen a couple, I saw, I was reading a story, I think it was in the Detroit News, that listed a couple of of different candidates. One was Bill Schuette and Tom Leonard, who are both in that district. So interesting, to say the least. But I'm, I haven't really asked around, because this news just broke recently, but I haven't really asked around to see if that's something that they'd be interested in. Um, And it, it, follows Dan Kildee's cancer diagnosis, a a curable form of cancer that was found on a tonsil. Uh, He had it successfully removed. There is no worry from his perspective on the, on the cancer front. And he told the Detroit news that, that just in the back of his mind, he didn't feel it was, it was the same when he was recovering from, from that surgery. Uh, Meanwhile, after a months long investigation by the house ethics committee, New York Congressman George Santos has announced that he won't seek re-election after his freshman term. Of course, Santos has been accused of wide—I mean, wide-ranging lies uh, on his way to a successful congressional campaign, uh, and he called this report that came out from the House Ethics Committee as a politicized smear. But he also said that he's not going to seek re-election. 
so you, you've seen, I'm sure, that President Joe Biden referred to Xi Jinping as a dictator. I don't know that he called him that to his face. That would be pretty brazen. I'm, I, don't, I don't know that that happened behind closed doors. But after his meeting, told a group of world leaders, the president did, that California Governor Gavin Newsom could have the job he's looking for if he wanted. Saying, I want to talk about Governor Newsom. Of course, the meetings with Xi were in San Francisco. I want to thank him. He's been one hell of a governor, man. Matter of fact, he could be anything he wants. He could have the job I'm looking for. Now, Brian, let me ask you a question. Does that signify that there's some shadow campaign underway to elect Gavin Newsom as the the the, the, the Democrat representative <laughs> for this election? I mean... I'm sure that'll be out there. Probably. It is. I've seen it. Oh. I just... I, I'm, I'm, I, I would imagine that they probably don't want it to be so shadowy. If it's if it's going to happen, you're probably going to want him out in front. I don't know why you'd want to keep him behind the scenes so much. Does he really have a chance, though? I mean, let's be Gavin honest. Newsom. Yeah, I would say no. Yeah, it's, I mean, but that's just my that's my gut. I mean, the guy was recalled. Yeah, won his his recall election, but I, I I've always looked at Gavin Newsom as being radioactive. Now, good looking guy. Younger guy, lots of political experience, no. carries a powerful name not in California. Widely loved either, but he's not widely loved. No. And I mean, uh, here, you, you want me to run a, an opposition campaign to him? I'm just going to throw on videos of these crime syndicates of people running into stores and stealing things. <laughs> or how about uh, just shots of these homeless cities that are in L.A. or San Francisco that they do nothing with? There's my oppo campaign. Done. Can't elect this guy. He doesn't even get things done in his own state. But I but I, I think from a from a, a DNC perspective or or an administration perspective, I do wonder if they've really taken looks at, at folks like Gavin Newsom, like uh Gretchen Whitmer. I, I think they, they had to, at least from a due diligence perspective. Um, all right, we got to take a break. Coming up next, we're going to talk about funding the government. The new Speaker of the House has a plan. Is that what people want? It's next on JR Afternoon. So one of the reasons that Kevin McCarthy was outed from leadership was that he made a deal with the devil. And the deal was no continuing resolutions. So when he put out a continuing resolution for for the... Congress to continue funding the government. That's when some in the Republican caucus decided to take action and oust Kevin McCarthy. Now, Speaker Michael Mike Johnson didn't make that pact. And so when he came out with a continuing resolution, there were some eyes raised and say, well, what are we doing here? But his stopgap funding bill to avert that government shutdown passed this week. Bipartisan. 336 to 95, and the way that they had structured it, they needed two-thirds from the House. And after the vote, Johnson said we just had to get the job done. But there does seem to be a groundswell, particularly among Republicans, that this this whole idea of continuing resolutions is nonsense, kicking the can down the road. It's not something that we should be doing, and instead we should be attacking 
these bloated levels of spending that we're seeing coming out of Washington on the regular now. Ryan Walker is the executive vice president of Heritage Action for America and joins us. Ryan, good to have you. Thanks for having me on. Why, why do you think Mike Johnson proposed another continuing resolution here? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that Speaker Johnson was between a rock and a hard place. Uh, he, we know, is very determined and interested in cutting spending. Mike Johnson, at his heart and at his core, is a conservative. In fact, he was an activist for many years mm-hmm. prior to his service in the Congress. And so we know that's in his heart. But I think, uh, you know, listen, he had been on the job for about two weeks. He has barely hired any staff. He has some, but it's certainly not what he needs to adequately run the House. And so I think that he saw this as uh, sort of the only pathway that he could go down mm. unless he wanted to shut down the government. And that was something I think that he and his team, at least at this point, were unwilling to do. Now, in January, I think that's a much different conversation. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, to me, it makes sense that you punt this down the road until after the holidays. You spend a little bit more time in the in the seat, in the big chair, and, and you work from there. But, you know, there are people out there that go, you know what? Close it down. I mean, based on the amount of money that comes into the government uh, every day, you're able to fund, what, 80 percent of the government. So there are people out there that say, then shut it down. Let, we, we yeah. have to stop this somewhere. But but I don't know that in a very important, I think, impactful election year, I think the optics of that would be terrible. And so the Republicans are in between a bit of a rock and a hard place. But but from a voter's perspective, I think it's very clear that a vast majority of the American public feels like we should be cutting down our spending. We should be attacking the debt and we should be, you know, the billions and billions of dollars that we pay in interest alone is is astronomical. So where do they go from here? Do you feel like there is a path forward that is able to to adhere to their conservative values while also um not putting themselves in a in a disadvantage with voters. Yeah, I think that they do have a time now, a runway, if you will, to actually show the Senate and tell the Senate, listen, uh, the the country is two trillion dollars in deficit spending every year now. We're thirty three trillion in debt, getting close to thirty four. Treasury uh, is having issues selling bonds. Bond rates are, are incredibly high. Mortgage rates are high. All of that, uh, all of those things will remain true and be the case in January. And what I think Speaker Johnson and, and the Republicans in the House are going to have to say is if you want the government fund for the rest of the year, if you want to have a say in, in which agencies are funded and how, you have to negotiate with Republicans on cutting spending and changing some of these policies most notably uh, those policies that relate to the southern border. And so I think you'll see that over the coming weeks. How, 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 I guess, prepared are Republicans, in your view, to go down that road? I mean, that can be a difficult spot to be in, again, especially in an election year. But, but how, how willing are they, do you think? Because there are, two, there are different factions of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. So how do you think they mesh on this particular issue? Yeah, it's another great question, and I think that Speaker Johnson is sort of looking to this uh, as he approaches January and February. Uh, the CR that they did pass is 
what they're they're referring to as laddered. So it has two different end dates for a set of agencies on each date. I think uh, there is certainly an appetite amongst Republicans to cut spending overall. Uh, but but I think Speaker Johnson has an interest in incrementalism, getting those wins that are most achievable uh, and most at hand right now. And maybe there may be a scenario where part of the government, uh, it, we can negotiate. We can negotiate on ledge branch and cutting funding on for the legislature. We can have discussions over energy and water, the EPA, uh, uh, agencies like the EPA, where we can cut funding. And then if there are agencies that are left uh, on the cutting room floor where no agreement is possible, uh, like on the DOD, for mm -hmm. example, uh, we can continue those for the rest of the year. So there may be an avenue there. But what I would say is Republicans do have a leverage position here. They do have all of the talking points and all of the economic data to show that Democrats in this administration have spent us into oblivion. And so I urge them and I urge Republicans in the House to take that strong position. Uh, the American people are with them. The polling shows that they agree. So they need to hold strong on this on this question. Well, look, I'm with you. I, you take the box cutter and you go trim as much fat in any of these departments. It, it, to me, it makes the most sense. There's no doubt that there's even redundancy in some of in some of these these outlets. And so I think that has to be a priority. But you bring up a great point. I, I think there does need to be a, a bit of a tactical approach to this. It, it's very difficult to get anything done when it's absolutes, right? And and I think this is just good good governing in the sense that you can't ask for the, the sun, the moon, the stars, when in reality you need to be aiming a tad bit lower to try to accomplish some of these goals. So that's where I really hope that Mike Johnson is able to flourish. And that's where I really hope that for a Republican conference in that chamber that has been divided over the last mm, you know couple of months here, they got to get it. They got to get it together and they have to come to a place where where they're comfortable in moving forward, maybe in an incremental way. Absolutely. And listen, Democrats have been uh, instituting their policy agenda for decades. This is not something that they achieved overnight. It was not done with one single bill. It was done again over decades with very minor language, seemingly minor language uh, in the moment added to appropriation bills and with standalone pieces of legislation to get us into the, the, the position and situation that we're in now. So uh, I, I completely agree that this idea of a, a silver bullet or a, a single solution to the ills that we're seeing, it, I, I, I don't know that it's out there. I haven't seen it if it is. And so I think that we all need to have an open mind on this, that this will take some time to turn around. And there needs to be some grace given uh, to Republicans uh, who are trying to fight this good fight and taking those incremental wins, those small wins, as you can have them uh, over time builds uh, to an aggressive agenda uh, that that Republicans can feel uh, comfortable being behind and supporting. And so uh, I do think that that needs to be part of the calculation in January and February. But listen, they've got to take a strong position. They've got to tell Democrats uh, where we are on these issues and and uh, hold the line. And, and if negotiations need to uh, sort of whittle those asks down, then then we can have that conversation. But but we need to start strong, certainly. 
Mike Walker, good stuff. Uh, appreciate the insight. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you for having me on. Yep, that's Ryan Walker with the Heritage Action for America. Appreciate that time. Uh, we've got some breaking news on Michigan and Jim Harbaugh ahead of the hearing tomorrow scheduled in Washtenaw County. I'll give that to you next right here on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. I want to give you this news. So tomorrow, the University of Michigan was going to be in court. Jim Harbaugh was expected to be in court to put a a restraining order, a temporary restraining order on his three-game suspension. Three-game suspension, literally game, because he's able to coach during the week as it pertains to the sign-stealing debacle that's unfolding in Ann Arbor. Here's the statement from the University of Michigan. This morning, the university, Coach Harbaugh, and the Big Ten resolved their pending litigation. The conference agreed to close its investigation, and the university and Coach Harbaugh agreed to accept the three-game suspension. Coach Harbaugh, with the university's support, decided to accept the sanction to return the focus to our student-athletes and their performance on the field. The conference has confirmed that it is not aware of any information suggesting Coach Harbaugh's involvement in the allegations. The university continues to cooperate fully with the NCAA's investigation. Then the Big Ten released this. The Big Ten Conference's commitment to student-athletes, sportsmanship, and the commissioner's duty to protect the integrity of competition will never waver. Today's decision by the University of Michigan to withdraw its legal challenge against the conference's November 10th notice of disciplinary action is indicative of the high standards and values that the conference and the university seek to uphold. The University of Michigan is a valued member of the Big Ten Conference, and the conference will continue to work cooperatively with the university and the NCAA during this process. So, I guess I'm a little confused. So it it feels like the NCAA or the the Big Ten dunked on Michigan in that statement. It, it it feels like that's a shot at Michigan for, you know, don't you, you should have never gone down this path. But what's interesting here is that they closed the investigation into Michigan, which I, I'm a little confused because I thought the outcome of that investigation was the three game suspension from the Big Ten, not the NCAA, the Big Ten. And then they say that they'll continue to work cooperatively with the NCAA during this process, which to me indicates that there were two separate investigations going on. And I know the Big Ten was looking at the sportsmanship policy for the University of Michigan and and the potential rules violation on that front. But regardless... Jim Harbaugh will not be on the sidelines for the next two games for for the Wolverines. This weekend on the road against Maryland and then at home in the season finale against Ohio State. So some some interesting news. And Jim Harbaugh, of course, won't be in court tomorrow. There will be no court here tomorrow in Washtenaw County. Uh, We're wrapping about a couple different things today. Obviously, the House passing the CR, the Continuing Resolution, that Mike Johnson proposed in his funding bill. It's drew the ire of some. And if you're me, I think there is a need to address spending. But Mike Johnson being so newly in the position, it's not a surprise 
that you kick this thing down the road just a little bit, and then you try to address it in the new year. I'd uh, love to get your thoughts on it. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Let's go to Dave in Rochester. Hello, David. Hey, Chris, hey. Uh, your heritage guest. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just, it was part of my uh, my little spiel earlier, but I, I appreciate that, Dave. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, heritage guest, spent this into oblivion. I would say the objective data says it's, this, uh, let's say, Democratic uh, spending starting January, uh, March of 2021 mm-hmm. spend, uh, has spent us into prosperity. Oblivion mm-hmm. would mean that you digressed. Okay, we, our GDP, even when you subtract out the annual added debt with a balance sheet of the country, household net worth, even when you subtract out the public debt held by the public, in both cases have seen it to high time, all-time high-time levels when you put it on a real basis, meaning inflation-adjusted, when you put it on a per capita basis, population-adjusted. So by any measure, including what the CBO said we'd be at this point, back before the Democrats had any spending bills whatsoever, mm-hmm. as far as these last four quarters, fiscal year 2023, it's, it's beyond beyond anyone's expectation. All right, well, Dave, let me ask you this. So this year, we're expected to surpass $800 billion in just interest alone. In 2021, that number was about $350 billion. Mm-hmm. So, so just on interest, we're spending nearly a trillion dollars. Now, look, I, 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 to me, being being financially sound with your money is important and when you get into debt and you're making so much x amount of pay, dollar payments on on your interest that that's not helping you so when you're you're looking at 800 billion dollars in just interest payments alone that is that's that's through the roof crazy isn't it no no it's not through the roof crazy everything is relative like albert einstein tried to tell us okay Let's look at what that is. How much GDP you think we make? Our income is GDP, twenty-seven twenty-seven trillion. Okay, okay. eight hundred billion divided to twenty-seven trillion, big deal. Is that worth? It's just like if you're a little kid, you give him the credit card. If he goes out and it takes, uh, gets like a a uh, check in the mail from Discover saying here for only two percent up front, I'll give you zero percent for a year. And he goes and takes that twenty thousand, and gets nothing with it, has a party, nothing with it. That's one thing. If, I, if he takes that 20000 and it puts it into this uh, Discover uh, saving account for 4.35 annual, my God, it's it, it's an absolute great use of debt. All right. Louisiana Sure, sure. No, there's no doubt that a little bit of debt's good, and, and a little bit of debt from the U.S. government is a lot more than, than debt you and I would take on. But I mean, you know, Axios says in by 2026, if this trend continues, our interest payments would reach roughly almost three and a half percent of the GDP. I mean, that to me is too high. It's uh, it's it's just too high. But I appreciate the call, Dave. Thank you. Let's go to Brad in Rochester Hills. Hello, Bradley. Hey, Chris. Great to be with you. I want to call. Wish you a happy birthday. (laughs) 
Thank you, Brad. It's very yeah, nice. I was uh, talking to uh, your uh, call screener, uh, it was Dave or somebody else, but uh, I just said that uh, you had their plans and you want to go anywhere you want to celebrate your birthday. Uh, the best place ever, especially for a burger, would be Red Coat Tavern in Royal Oak. You know what, Brad? I have never been to Redcoat. I have never been there. Yeah, my best friend and I and his mom, we usually go there once a year. We were just there today having lunch. <laughs> I've heard that's the I've heard that's the spot to go for a burger in town. I've never been yeah, there. Yeah, that's what my best friend and I had today. We each had our own choice of burger and toppings. Yeah. Good for you. Good yeah, for you, Brad. You have a blessed birthday. We'll touch base soon. Appreciate you. Thank you, Brad. That's very nice. Um, yeah, look, I, I I think when it comes to this spending, there is a there is a there is an element of of huh? Why? Why? Can we can we pull in the rain? Oh, look, I, I you got to pull in the reins in your own home if you need to, right? I, you you can't just spend 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 spend. I I I think it's it would be it would behoove the government to, and and certainly Republicans to get on board that. You got to really look at the spending. I mean, you ask the American people and they know that we spend too much. Can't just print more money. I mean, I'm no economist, but it makes some pretty simple sense to me. All right, we got to take a break. More coming up next on JR Afternoon. I don't know, man. I don't know. Don't Steve Courtney joins bro. us. Don't look at me, bro. What does any of this mean? Because I... All right, so I... I, I I broke it down. It broke right before we went to break uh, that there will be no hearing tomorrow for a temporary restraining order. No, sir. Michigan has dropped their suit against the Big Ten. Over. Uh, I read the statements, and I want you to reiterate them, but but somebody blinked. Or there was there was some sort of back deal negotiations going on, and I don't know who blinked. I don't know. I don't know who. I don't know who. Blinked first. I don't know. Let me Let's just, break it uh, down. Steve Courtney. Hello. Let me just say this. Uh, our conversation <laughs> and our analyses brought to you by <laughs> the Performance Remodeling if Sweepstakes. If you could call it that. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your windows, roofing, and siding quote today. Log into windows, roofing, siding.com to enter Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Um, now, earlier this week, Monday, as a matter of fact, uh, Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh said he was very much looking forward to his day in court. He mm-hmm. wanted to have a say. That hearing in Washtenaw County uh, was due to go down tomorrow. Uh, maybe, maybe they would have received their temporary restraining order, which would have allowed Harbaugh to be on the sideline for the uh, tilt against the Terrapins in Maryland uh, this Saturday, and of course, uh, November 25th, in a squared on the sideline against the hated rival Ohio State Buckeyes. Instead, uh, Jim Harbaugh, the University of Michigan, uh, they opt to accept the three-game suspension. Now, something just isn't equating here. I agree. Because at the very least, you go to this hearing and present your case. Like you said, you wanted to. You wanted to go in there as Jim Harbaugh, head football coach, yada, yada, yada. Tell your side of the story. Okay, they kick it around there in Washtenaw County. Mm-hmm. And maybe they say, TRO is approved. Mm-hmm. 
So now, all of a sudden, everything's put on hold. He's going to coach on the sideline at Maryland and, of course, against Ohio State. Instead, they decide to accept. So the hearing is not taking place, and you've basically said, no, we're good with it. All right, can I read the statements, and then we'll kibitz. Ken Brown joins us as well. All right, from the University of Michigan. This morning, the university, Coach Harbaugh, and the Big Ten resolved their pending litigation. The conference agreed to close its investigation, and the university and Coach Harbaugh agreed to accept the three-game suspension. Coach Harbaugh, with university support, decided to accept the sanction to return the focus to our student-athletes and their performance on the field. The conference has confirmed that it is not aware of any information suggesting Coach Harbaugh's involvement in the allegations. The university continues to cooperate fully with the NCAA. That's from the university. Now from the Big Ten. The Big Ten Conference's commitment to student-athletes, sportsmanship, and the commissioner's duty to protect the integrity of competition will never waver. Today's decision by the University of Michigan to withdraw its legal challenge against the conference's November 10th notice of disciplinary action is indicative of the high standards and values that the conference and the university seek to uphold. The University of Michigan is a valued member of the Big Ten Conference, and the conference will continue to work cooperatively with the university and the NCAA during this process. Okay, whatever. Who won? Well, Uh, you know what this sounds like to me. You ever watch Perry Mason? Wait, wait, any courtroom show? When he gets okay. to about three minutes left in the show, the guy confesses. I did it. I did yeah, it, right. I did, it. I did it. And they take him up. Yeah. This is what this basically is, a last minute I did it. Okay. Or last minute I should have been responsible for it. Okay. Because otherwise, no, you there, fight it. Look, if something nefarious went down here, and regardless if Harbaugh knew about it or not, sounds like he didn't, but that's not an excuse. The NCAA has rules. You're the head coach of a major college football team. You are responsible. Of right, wrong, are. or indifferent. But the key right, line wrong, in there that everybody's overlooking is the investigation is closed. From the perspective. Nobody cares about it. Okay, let's get that out the way. Nobody cares. That's next year for them. That's that's their okay. investigation. There'll be no more digging. Yeah. There'll be no more. Well, this what is happened. there to dig? There's two more games left. They haven't found the connection yet from Harbaugh. Now they won't because there's no more digging. Or did they? No, no. Well, I'm just saying. It's not coming out. I mean, come on. I'm just saying. There's no more investigation. They said that's the line in the thing. If he takes the penalty, we're not looking anymore. We're not investigating anymore. It's closed. But they already handed down the punishment. Yeah, but so punishments what? can be. Wait a minute, hold up. That one punishment, you can get more. That was just a starting point. Okay, but my point, well, I'm sure there was negotiations even behind Yeah, but I'm just saying, if something came out after that three games, even if you took it or not, they can give them five more a year. They can do anything afterward. Now, the investigation is closed. There was uh, rumblings that the, the, uh, the, the board at Michigan, the board uh, was considering leaving the Big Ten. I, I agree. I agree. Come on. Where? where? Going to the MAC? But, they're going to be on MACs on Tuesday? But, <laughs> we would like to welcome the University of Michigan to the Sun Belt Conference. Tuesday night is Northern Illinois and Michigan. <laughs> uh, but the, but the, Big, the, the Big Ten threw this in the statement. The University of Michigan is a valued member of the Big Ten Conference. <laughs> you know, here's the thing that's been going on since this October 19th. This is a 19th, wild dude. story. It's it insane. is wild. And guess what? Is it over? No. Who knows? Because here's something. There's three sides to every story. Their side, their side, and the truth. Now, Jim Harbaugh was very adamant earlier in the week. He wanted his day in court. Mm -hmm. 
at the very least, it remains the same as it is now. Or you get the TRO, and it's back to business. Let me ask you this, all right? Because Jim Harbaugh, the university, are not able to speak on this because of the pending NCAA investigations ongoing. And the only way you get to respond is when, is they, when they officially, officially notify you of, of, an infraction, of an infraction. Which they haven't yet. Which they haven't yet. And won't do the rest of this year. I would imagine so as well, but we'll let it play out. The NCAA? Correct. Oh, there's going to be no decision for five years the way they were. Oh. They'll be out of business before say, they render a decision. They're going to be out of business. But, but, so this would have been Harbaugh's first chance to actually talk about it. Is it one of those situations where uh, it's like when you when you read your Miranda rights, what you say or do will be held against you in a court of law? Like if Harbaugh goes up there and says something that is contrary to what the NCAA found, are they going to be able to use that? It's like evidence. Are you sworn in for those? For what? When they, if he would have spoke tomorrow, is that under under? Uh, I would. I don't. If it's in a court, though, it should be under. So then you got. Is that like testify? I mean, it's 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 in a court. It's a non-criminal. But it's in a court. You're not sworn. I'm just wondering if I would say yes, but okay. I watch suits. But just say it is though. Maybe you're right about that. If he says something tomorrow that's not true in a in a court of law, or that, or that he says it on the record, or that just is not totally in line with what the NCAA. When's the last time a college football team? Went on to win a national championship. It didn't have their head coach six games. Uh, twenty twenty four. There you go. I don't know. We'll see. All right, Mitch Alvin and the crew coming up next. Have yourself a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a good one.